Welcome to Founders and Friends Podcast with Scott Orn at Cruise Consulting. And before we get to a really cool podcast with Amy Lazarus of Inclusion Ventures, quick shout out to our sponsor, Rippling. Rippling, Amy's doing the uh, raise the roof. Uh, <laughs> Rippling makes payroll benefits and also your IT infrastructure a lot easier. So they're awesome at payroll. They specialize in handling all your benefits. And they also have an IT integration with benefits that allows you to, when you hire a new person, you spin up their web services and their computer automatically. So we did a study and we know that it takes us between three and four hours a cruise, which translates to about 140 bucks per hour uh, for our IT service provider. So with Rippling, you're probably saving something around 400 bucks per new person you hire. And that's not even when people leave. So Rippling is, is the whole package, payroll, benefits, and IT infrastructure. Check them out at rippling.com. And now to the podcast guest, Amy Lazarus. Welcome, Amy. Thank you, Scott. Great to be here. So Amy works or is the founder of Inclusion Ventures. Maybe you can tell the audience kind of a little bit about Inclusion Ventures and how you had the idea to start the firm. Sure. So Inclusion Ventures uh, is known as a diversity, equity, and inclusion consulting company. We help you bring out the best in your people so that together you can bring your world-changing ideas to life. I'm going to break that down because both of those concepts are really important to us. Bring out the best of your people. Who are those people? Who's there? Who's not there? Whose voices are valued, incorporated into the decisions? What's the culture like so that people know who belongs there? And then what are those world-changing ideas that you're bringing to life? When we talk about product market fit, whose market are you fitting into? And how can you expand that so that it has a, a more diverse, applicable uh, experience and therefore a better UX and a, a wider market opportunity? I love it. So you're bringing improvements in corporate culture to actually make products and organizations better. Exactly. I love that. You have kind of a nomenclature, people, culture, product. Maybe yeah. you can walk everyone through kind of each each bucket there and how Inclusion Ventures helps each subset. Certainly. So, um, and actually, I realized I didn't answer your first question. Oh, I think yeah, that'll you help your company. listeners. So yeah. why I started the company. So I was born and raised in a community outside of Cleveland, Ohio, that pioneered racial integration. 50-50 black-white, still about that to this day. It was actually cool in high school to try out to be in the Dialogue on Race Relations Club. I wish there were more Dialogue on Race Relations Clubs in high schools. Um, our students have the skills and commitments to have conversations about race, about identity, about challenging topics that they can have, frankly, better than a lot of executives in the Valley. We also know that that can change. And so ever since I was little, I, and you met me, so I haven't grown vertically that much, <laughs> pretty short. Um, but ever since I was young, I've really been committed to what is the most effective and efficient way to make inclusion the norm. And so Inclusion Ventures is a natural outgrowth of that. So, you know, having been committed to this since high school, looking at the, what's the most effective and efficient way to scale inclusion, really applied that at every stage of life. And so I uh, started a similar program uh, at, at undergrad at Duke and then did a Coro Fellowship in Public Affairs, applying this equity and inclusion lens to every sector. Um, and then in grad school, again, kind of just couldn't 
escape applying a diversity, equity, and inclusion lens to the work I was doing. And people kept asking, you know, why are you doing that? And I would keep saying, how are you doing your work without yeah. this? Because it works, right? That, that, and right. that's who you are. Exactly. So, yeah. uh, so moved to Washington, D.C. and was working at a consulting firm in their human capital and leadership and diversity practice for a number of years, and then uh, ran a nonprofit as their first executive director of the Sustained Dialogue Institute. Uh, so that was for five years, focusing on dialogue to action on college campuses, workplaces, and communities. Nice. And I had this moment five years in where I was like, you know what, we're not scaling fast enough. This work is so important. How can we do this so that we're not going organization to organization doing some trainings and workshops, but really focusing on what's in everyone's hands? And that's technology, that's media, that's our consumption of products. And so started Inclusion Ventures to really reach reach everyone where we are. That's really cool. So you saw, like, because I feel like the culture has shifted to tech mm -hmm. in the last 15 or 20 years. And so you've figured out the best way to make social change is through the products we use. Yes, that's that's, that's our really hypothesis. Smart. Wow, I like that a lot. Thanks. And so you've been doing it for how many years? So I've been doing this since I was 10, but Inclusion Ventures it just turned five the end of this yeah, year. That's amazing. Five, that's really, really good. So get so that's an amazing background. And then going back to the people, culture, or product, yeah. People kind of have a little bit more background, but maybe talk about those three different buckets. Sure. So, you know, anyone reading the news can see that diversity and inclusion is certainly in, in the news a lot, especially in, in tech and in every sector. So Not in a good way sometimes. Not, not always in a good way, indeed. So people often think that we're talking about, well, let's bring more people of color and women to the table. And that's kind of some of the, the people. That's about representation. It's about who has lived experience. It's about who has different perspectives and you know, just literally who's there and who's not there. Then the culture piece is, well, who belongs and how do I know? When I walk into uh, an office and I see, you know, the, the stereotypical previous founders of this law firm and it's all older white men, right? <laughs> what message does that send? Now, the intention might be we're honoring the founders of this firm, but the impact on me is very different. How do I know, right? And so even companies that we see now, a lot of our clients will call and say, hey, you know, can you help us hire more diversity? Well, we say, well, let's focus on inclusion first. The culture of inclusion can help attract diversity um, and also help make you deserving of that diversity once it arrives. That makes total sense. So it's like creating a safe place and creating a place where people are heard then allows you to attract the amazing people that want to be heard and want to work in a safe place. Exactly, exactly. And we actually at Inclusion Ventures, instead, we believe in psych psychological safety, but we call it a brave space. Mm. Because you're in the comfort zone, that learning's not happening. Yeah, if yeah, you're yeah. in the danger zone, learning's not happening. Bra brave is really good. <laughs> so what does it take to be in that brave space? So people, culture, and then product, the very products that are in our hands, There's depending on who's in the room and what the culture is like in that product team or in the decision making, that's going to very much dictate what are the avatar choices that we have at our disposal? Where where do I see myself in this product or where do I not? Why were there band-aids that came out for, for my skin tone? I'm, I'm white. And you know what are the implications for the lack of market there? Uh, people are missing out on a much larger market. And what are the stories that, uh, the messages that are sent if I show up at the drugstore and I don't see myself in a product? So you're getting at it at the root phase, yeah. like when products are actually being developed and mm -hmm. making sure. So you kind of had two use cases there. Is it a revenue optimization thing or is it a just making sure that the market is everyone's kind of heard and the market opportunity is bigger or I guess because because like the band-aid example right. of like someone's skin color it could be like it could really set someone off that their their skin color is not reflected and mm -hmm. they could not like J&J &J or someone mm -hmm. like that right or do do companies that hire you are they doing it from like the math and like we can make 
10 more million dollars in revenue with this service kind of sure. like, you know what, yeah, like, what are their goals question. yeah so the proactive companies are hiring us because of that yeah um there are companies that are saying "Oof, we had this really embarrassing pr situation can you help us prevent that from happening in the future or companies that are saying hey our competitors are having these embarrassing pr situations can you help us avoid, pr- avoid that in the future yeah, 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 so yeah, some yeah, of it's yeah. that but some of that's just better product people know that you want a more innovative product where does innovation come from not just diversity, but well-managed diversity. Yeah. And so you need to have an inclusive environment. Um, so what we're actually doing within the people and culture space, for example, there's um, pretty well documented at the every stage of the employee life cycle from recruiting, you know, if you're, where, where are their potential bias traps? So if you think about resumes going in, whose resumes are screened, how are those resumes are screened, and then who gets the first call and the second interview and whatnot. There's pretty clear places where there could be traps for bias to show up. What we're doing is working with product teams on, hey, from soup to nuts, from beginning to shipping, where are there opportunities for bias to come in, and then how can you mitigate those? Not as a separate DNI thing over there, but really talking about this has to be embedded into your existing process, otherwise it won't work. And people get that for hiring because of high-profile lawsuits yeah. and things like that, and also people wanting to have a very diverse team to, to make great products. But I love that you're doing it in like the actual product development phase. That seems like that's what I thought that was so cool about this is I, the, the next iPhone might be – I don't know if Apple's a client or not, but, like, the next iPhone might be different because, you know, th- th- these things were factored in in the actual yeah. product creation stage. Yeah. Scott, I'm wondering if we could do a little uh, exercise to make this a little bit more concrete for your listeners. Let's do it. Okay. This is I'm the, the guinea pig. This is the, the brave zone. Yes. Um, so we find that language and shared language is so helpful and so critical for any of this work to move forward with, with our clients. So we have this concept called lenses. What are the lenses through which you see the world and through which the world sees you? So I'm wondering if we can each think for a moment, and I'll demonstrate, but if you share seven lenses that are prominent for you. So let's see. I am short, as we mentioned. I'm white. I'm a woman. I'm an entrepreneur. Uh, I live in Oakland. I wonder sometimes if I'm gentrifying that, but my husband is from Oakland, so do we net cancel each other out? Um, let's see. I'm a devoted uh, family member. I just had a niece uh, who's remarkable. And seventh wild card, let's see. My family uh, has been affected by mental health, as have uh, have or will 80% of the population. And so some of those things you can tell by looking at me, and some of those things you don't necessarily know unless I choose to share. Yep. So me, yeah. I would be probably a husband. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> I really like being married to my wonderful wife. I'm a father. I have an amazing little daughter. I grew up in the Bay Area in like a predominantly white suburb. So that was like kind of my upbringing. But I went to Berkeley for undergrad, probably my fourth lens. So I was exposed at 18 through 22 to like people of all different backgrounds, philosophies, approaches to life. So that was for me, like a giant injection of diversity mm. and just like kind of like life learning for me, mm-hmm. which I feel like I've taken through the rest of life. So that's, that's been very, very helpful. Um, I really enjoy sports. So that would be my fifth thing. Uh, I think I tend to see things through like a financial lens because I'm oriented towards numbers and finance and things like that. So that would be six. My seventh one would be like I'm a bald man with facial hair with a goatee. <laughs> so if you see my avatar in the podcast you'll know that i have a goatee and i wear a hat sometimes because i have a bald head so that's those are my seven lenses awesome thanks scott so how do you see those lenses showing up and affecting either your work interactions or your work product 
Uh, in terms of my work product, I think, well, the uh, default lens of like being financial oriented or numbers oriented is very helpful. Mm-hmm. And I think people pick that up about me. So then that adds credibility to me. Um, in terms of, you know, as a father, I'm like tired all the time. <laughs> so that's probably part of it. As a husband, I have other, and as a father, I have other things that factor into my, like besides work in my life that are super important to me. So I have to have like very crisp cutoffs and not, I can't like work all night anymore or do things like that. In terms of like cultural or having like a, uh, growing up in a middle-class white suburb, uh, I, I'm sure there's some biases and this is probably where I could use some of the training or mm-hmm. kind of awareness that you drive because I don't know how that's probably affecting me, but I'm sure it is. Mm-hmm. Um, and then um, my, my Berkeley kind of diversity background, I actually, if you look at the people that work at Cruise Consulting, we're a highly diverse group. That's something that we do on purpose, but we also are just kind of looking for the best people. So it's a really nice confluence of finding talented people and all of us having different backgrounds and being open to different backgrounds. In fact, we actually have a diversity channel on our Slack channel where Janika, um, uh, Janika Harris actually celebrates all different cultures and we all chime in and talk about that. So there's a lot of efforts we've made to celebrate that kind of stuff. Um, so hopefully it makes us a more sound workplace, a friendlier workplace, more accepting workplace. And mm-hmm. I think our clients probably pick up on that a lot too. Great, great. And so I lo- love hearing those examples and yeah. the awareness of the lenses and then also some questions about lenses and where that's coming in and what it looks like to you know celebrate the diversity and then also move from celebration into operationalizing. All right, how are we doing this and incorporating this into our onboarding or into our very, you know, the nature of our client work and what that actually looks like. Um, so you can imagine if everyone in the organization had this shared lenses vocabulary, what we see, you know, some of the examples you shared too, of, hey, right now my lens of being a really tired dad is showing up. This is a really important conversation. I want to have it. Could we do it tomorrow? You know, and people being able to respect that instead of saying, oh, Scott just canceled this meeting. Um, so sometimes sharing lenses that are appropriate to share, but then they're also, you know, I shared the mental health one, for example. And um, I love the sharing of the lens. That's such yeah. a great terminology because it's, it's something objective and mm-hmm. it's not like I'm coming across as like an emotional state, but more of like just just that you're who you are. Mm-hmm. You know, I mm-hmm. like that's a really nice mm-hmm. tip. I like that. Cool. And and even the emotional state piece. Right. So there's it's like, wow, we're in Silicon Valley. We can't have emotions. And so we have another um, framework that people share or that people have really resonated with about how you are approaching challenging conversations. Emotion is one quadrant, but it's also around, um, you know, is this from an intellectual perspective? Is this, is this from a judgment or moral perspective? Is this from a, an action perspective? And the number of people who veer away from emotions, but then who like yell from the intellectual, I I just really care strongly about this. It's like, it's okay to have feelings. Our, our brains are wired for that. Yeah. And yet our culture is wired to, um, to not enforce that. It's interesting you say that. I just had like a coaching uh, thing yesterday mm-hmm. and I realized about myself that I have a hard time taking feedback when it's intertwined with emotion mm-hmm. because I tend to just focus on the emotion aspect mm-hmm. of it and I don't actually hear the other aspects of the feedback. And so what do you say? Like, this is a lens, right? So like if I'm getting feedback, should I say like, Hey, I'm in this lens right now where I'm picking up a lot of the emotion, but I'm Mm -hmm. not picking up the substance or how, how does that dialogue happen? Yeah, I think it's a great point. I think some of it is what is yours to do and what is the person who's giving you feedback? What Mm -hmm. is theirs to do? So I would say that this kind of falls back to you, man, (laughs) in terms of, all right, here's the lenses 
by having this lens up, I have to be aware of it, but then what am I missing by having this lens yeah, potentially yeah, block yeah. other things? Um, similarly, for me, you know, we teach our clients things like, you know, if you notice that your boss is demonstrating some bias around something, you can ask them questions like, what lenses are informing your decision? What lenses are coming into play here? So when my team asks me those questions, I'm like, okay. So A, feedback. Yeah. B, good. They notice some biases that I'm not aware of. We got to address these so that we can make more optimal decisions. And so I think some of it is having that shared vocabulary of, hey, this is queuing you up to say, I'm giving you some feedback in a caring, constructive way. Are you ready to take it? And if not, because you're tired or you're getting you know, blocked off, that's okay. Let's have this at a time when we can. What do you do if some, that's, that's very helpful. What do you do if someone opts out of giving or accepting feedback or having that con- like the, instead of saying let's talk tomorrow. Yeah. What if what do you do if they just say like I don't want to talk about it? So I think that there are several, you know, it depends, right? And so if this is feedback that is about performance uh, or that could affect this person's um, place in the organization, there's a lot of places where lenses come into play there. A lot of times people don't want to give feedback to women or to people of color. Uh, they're actually, they have higher racial anxiety and gender anxiety. Oh, and so interesting. then people don't get that feedback. So then how can they improve? And this isn't just in something I hadn't that thought about that bias. Yeah. That makes total sense, yeah. though. Yeah. Uh, it's fascinating. There are studies that show that doctors will and uh, healthcare practitioners will actually ask fewer questions to their patients of color because they're afraid they're going to ask the wrong thing. Oh, my gosh. As a result, their, the patients don't actually share the accurate information and they're not getting the care that they need. So hello, part of healthcare inequities. Same thing with teachers. They'll grade their students of color. Um, they'll ask fewer questions or give less feedback on an essay. How can you improve if you're not getting the feedback? So I would say, and McKinsey has some new research out around this from their fifth annual Women in the Workplace uh, study that shows yeah, people are a lot less likely to follow up on those hard conversations. Their feedback's hard already than if you layer on these different lenses. So that's why having some structure is really important. Um, so I would, I, that's a longer answer to your question. No, that, but that's a, so. How do you create that structure, or is that where where Inclusion Ventures comes in to we help facilitate? We can certainly help with that in terms of you know a lot of organizations have existing structures of hey here's how we do performance reviews or here's how we do feedback. At a performance review, there should never be new information for someone. It should always have been in the one on ones. Oftentimes, just in one on ones to have space for feedback and really take that space and, mm-hmm. and make that space. But it's also practicing giving feedback and receiving feedback in ways that um, are aware that you're navigating lenses. And so we'll teach managers or executives of, well, here's what you want to say. Here's how might you say it yeah. in a way that, that is most effective. That's really helpful. Okay, so t- walk me through like an engagement for inclusion sure. measures. So I'm building the newest, coolest piece of hardware or a new software service. I call. I've I've heard. I need to talk to Amy. What do, what do I do, and how does it work? Great. So you call. We have a conversation. All of our engagements are customized, and so we work with you. We talk with you on the phone about you know what are your goals. What happens if you don't apply a diversity, equity, and inclusion lens to this, um, and let's figure out what it would look like to, to do that. We want to work within your cadence and your resources to do so, um, but for the specific example that you shared, uh, I think a process audit or a product audit would be mm. best. So we would come in and for a product audit, either you show us, you know, we sign all the things, sign the NDA, of course, um, <laughs> and we take that very seriously. Um, but then we look at what is your current product from different perspectives, um, and then we identify potential bias traps and help suggest ways to mitigate those. 
Now, the thing is, those features showed up in how you're currently designing. So if you want to stop those from continuing to show up, can we do a process audit where we look at you know, where your meetings, what's your user validation, where's the, the research phase, all of that to shipping and be able to, again, identify important inflection points to mitigate bias along the way. We can come in and do that. If you want it to stick, you all have to be part of it, right? Mm -hmm. The co-developing piece is so critical. I'm not a product engineering expert. I'm an expert in DE&I. You are the product expert. Let's work together on that. Now, of course, we have things that we've learned along the way and that we can share as best practices and pitfalls to avoid. So this would take the form of, uh, you know, workshops, team observations, some coaching, um, and then some piloting of, hey, based on what we co-developed, let's implement this and let's see what worked as we imagine and what we want to iterate on for the next phase. That's really cool. What are the points in that process that kind of become can be problematic? Like, for example, I could see there being a stereotype, but like a superstar software engineer who doesn't want to play by the rules, mm-hmm. right? Or maybe there's the uh, Steve Jobs hardware genius who has to have things look their way aesthetically, specifically. Like, how do you navigate towards some of these, like, inflexible people or inflexible positions? Great question. Two ways. One, constraints can breed creativity. So if we know this is a constraint that we have to work within, great, let's optimize for that, or let's know that going into it. Two, the relationships and the hierarchy in this process are so critical. So if we have the cover of the CEO or the VP of engineering or VP of product kind of whose sign off do we need in order to say, look, you might be a quote superstar engineer. That's not going to fly anymore because your superstar engineerdom has created this really biased algorithm or has not mitigated this really biased algorithm. So how are we evaluating quote superstars? Yeah, and that's to be able a to great. That's that. a, such a good way of saying that. Like, they may seem like a superstar because they ship code on time, but mm-hmm. they're not a superstar because they're embedding your product or service with with some bad biases. Right. And, and by that's the way, I love great, that you said... Yeah, that's really cool. Thanks. I love you said bad biases because not all biases are bad, right? Biases help us survive <laughs> in so many ways. The issue is when biases that at one point served to you know be able to separate a, a lion from something that would not eat us are now affecting us in the workplace and getting into <laughs> to places that are not serving that us. That makes total sense. So like the Apple thing with the credit cards mm-hmm. is a great example of this. Mm-hmm. I don't even really understand what happened, but they have some type of automate, automated algorithm, underwriting algorithm, and women have been systematically getting different scores than men, yep. right? Like, that's the kind of project that they should have had you in I agree. six months ago. We'll right? still be happy to talk with yes, them. Yes, yes. Um, right. You work and, at Apple, pick up the phone. <laughs> um, but that's a great example of, you know, and the um, letter that they put out to customers it says, that, look, we're, we're not trying, I'm going to paraphrase here, they're not trying to put out sexist code. They're basing this based on a number of criteria that have been identified for, you know, who pays their bills on time, what's your how many credit cards do you have out? There's research that shows that women tend to have more open credit cards mm. if they do more of the shopping for the home, which is a whole other right. So we're working within systems that are affecting the individuals and the organizations and and all those decisions. And so looking at, well, how are these decisions and how are these parameters that we think are being just really subjective, excuse me, really objective, are actually being subjective? You know, the other big thing is like AI, quota Mm -hmm. AI, and sometimes it's not always AI, but like that kind of data pattern matching approach is sweeping Silicon Valley. And even we use it, like we use it to recognize 80% 80% of the transactions when we're doing, you know, our accounting, like we don't, a, a computer does it, we don't do it. 
I'm sure that I don't know if the accounting bias is going to be, you know, ruin the world or something like that, but I'm sure there's AI and other types of systems that could be could really mess some stuff up. Like, how do you approach like the AI question? Yeah, it's such a great question. It's one of the ones that keeps me up at night, frankly. So uh, a few months ago, Amazon shared that they had um, created an algorithm, an internal algorithm to be able to figure out who they should hire from the thousands of resumes they receive. You may have seen this. And they their code was based on their current staff. And yeah. so who's currently there in engineering positions? Mostly men, oh, mostly white God. and Asian men. Yeah. So the, the algorithm was actually set up if you were oh, the president of a women's chess club, you would not get recommended to move forward, right? If you went to an all-women's school, you would not get recommended to move forward. And so they ended up scrapping the project. So that's that's one example of who's getting hired. But then it also goes to there's facial recognition, who's getting arrested, who's oh, getting yeah. bank loans, yeah. the risk assessment. I mean, it really affects people's lives. And so it, this the product obviously goes back to the people and culture. Who's there? Whose lenses are in the room and whose lenses are not in the room? And if you're going and you know having a few user experience interviews with you know n equals three, and that that doesn't work. And so how can you be more inclusive yet efficient in your design process so that you can really create the best product for people who aren't in the room as well? But then there's a whole you know don't do about me without me, uh, and so really making sure that you are hiring and employing diverse perspectives. Yep. Our research also shows that once you, once folks have been you know, hired in, they often don't want to be the the only one saying, "Hey, what about this gender lens?" Or, "Hey, that actually doesn't work." It's in a the burden they they have to carry. They don't necessarily sign up for. They don't want to carry that burden. Exactly. And yeah. the research shows that if you have the magic tipping point is about thirty three percent or one third of of not the only in the room. And so if you're looking to hire, hire in cohorts. Hire yeah. three women at a time. Hire three women of color at a time, right? And so what that looks like so that you can benefit from the different perspectives that you're That's trying really to bring cool. in. Who's a com- So we talked about like some companies that maybe or processes that could be better. Who's someone who's doing it really well? Is there someone out there that you're like, oh, tip my cap or I don't you probably can't talk I about can't, your clients. I, I'm thinking of, of examples yeah. that I, I can't fully name. Yeah. Um, so there's there's some that are really intentional about changing their process. So uh, another company based in Seattle, for example, realized going through a process that um, one of their inflection points in, in their you know, to get to shipping is to do user validation. But they were sending the same person who had done the earlier research to do the validation on the very product that they created. Mm. And so they realized, well, that's confirmation They were too bias. informed. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. And so a very simple switch of adding one more person in to go on those interviews is bringing this whole different perspective that then can result in a different pattern. Um, some great examples of what's working well in terms of um, the the people and who's, who they're bringing in. We worked with a software uh, company, or t- software team that was looking to hire, and they really wanted to uh, hire an entrepreneur. And so we said, well, what what about hiring an entrepreneur? Like, why is that? It's a great you know? question. Yeah. And because it limits the pool, who can take the risk to be an entrepreneur, who can take the risk to fail? It goes back to the systems, right? And so by talking about this, they looked. At the, they said, well, you know, we actually want someone who is entrepreneurial, who can take risks. We also want someone who's a fast learner, and we want someone who knows the tech ecosystem and the entrepreneurial ecosystem. Great. That completely widens it. So focusing on and really taking a step back to ask the questions of why are we doing what we've always done uh, is really important. Sometimes having an an external lens to help you make that okay and and help you walk through that process is important. I love it. So if I were to sum up, it's all about recognizing the people's lenses they're Mm -hmm. talking from or seeing the world through and then having 
the people there, the right people, everyone included, having their voices heard, and then embedding this in the product development uh, process as early as possible, basically. You make it sound so simple. Well, I just got an education on it. <laughs> That's amazing. Okay, and you're open for business. You've been around for five We've years. You're for ready five to go. Years. We're we're here. We're ready to work with uh, organizations that are committed to this. If companies want to check the box, we don't work with them. We found that people have to be committed to this in order for it to work. Um, and for folks that really want to bring their product and culture to the next level and want to really be able to leverage that uh, innovation, uh, we'd love to work with you. I love it. So you're also not only are you like you're helping other people with their products, but you're also a founder yourself. So I want just I like asking this question, like what is one piece of advice you give all the other founders you work with or your friends who are starting companies like what if you look back on yourself five years ago, what piece of advice could you have used? Surround yourself with the best people. I mean, our team is incredible. Warren Buffett says, make sure you're not the p- smartest person in the room. I mean, that is easy any day, but our team has been doing this in their different perspectives and worlds for years. And just to, to learn from people who are smarter than I am in so many ways is so important. Um, so I would say to founders, uh, you know, surround yourself with people who are smarter than you and who have different lenses and really um, be intentional about what lenses are on your advisory board, what lenses are on your team and not on your team and how can you um, seek those out. I love it. Amy, thank you so much for coming by. Can you tell everyone where to find Inclusion Ventures, how to reach out? We are at inclusionventures.com. You can reach me directly at amy at inclusionventures.com or on Twitter at Just Humanity or Norm Inclusion. I love it. And the bottom line is you make products more successful and help people help companies actually be more successful by just including voices people uh, and getting into the product development cycle very very early exactly i love it thanks for coming by thanks so much scott so when your troubles are mounting in tax or accounting you go to Thanks so much, Amy, for coming on the podcast. Quick shout out to Rippling, uh, payroll, HR, and also IT infrastructure. Rippling is awesome. Check them out, rippling.com. Also, a little uh, perk here I'm throwing in. We would like to get more reviews on the App Store. Amy's nodding her head. Please, if you review us, we will send you a T-shirt, and I'll read it on the podcast. So you can, Amy, you can review. That might be biased. I don't know. I can't wait for a new T-shirt. This is going to be great. (laughs) Cruise Consulting. All right. So check us out on App Store. Give us a review. And thank you for listening to Cruise Consulting's Founders and Friends. Thanks.